Good morning. Uh, this is Steve Van Cura of Bread of Life Bible Study. Bread of Life Bible Study. Uh, please go to the website, breadoflifebiblestudy.org. Uh, there's lots of lessons there. There's uh, printed lessons for this particular topic, as there are for many topics. There are lots of videos there. There are books, articles, um, uh, a few links, okay, a material designed to uh, birth us into the kingdom of God, to receive eternal life, and to grow ever more into the likeness of God, to prepare for eternity. Uh, the Bible says, It is given unto men once to die, and then cometh the judgment. You know, this reincarnation idea is just not true. It's not true. If you didn't get it right the first time, reincarnation says, well, you go back and try again, you know. Eventually, you'll get there. All right, well, that is a lie. That's a lie. Uh, one of the things that Jesus said of the, uh, what's called uh, the Olivet Discourse, when the disciples asked Jesus about the end of time or his second coming, uh, they said, you know, when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming end of the end of the age? And Jesus said, the first thing, watch out that no one deceives you. Many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ or I am anointed and shall deceive many. Okay. Now, who is the liar and the father of lies? The devil. The devil. That's that serpent. Adam and Eve were made perfect. Lived in a perfect garden of Eden. You know, God gave them the option, though, because remember, this whole thing is about choice. And he said, well, there's a couple of trees in here I want to tell you about. One is the tree of life, all right, and the other is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And God told Adam and Eve, you can eat all of the tree of life you want to. But he said of this tree of knowledge of good and evil over here, don't eat it, don't eat it, because the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Okay? So you remember the serpent comes in and lies to Eve about the consequences of eating of that tree, and deceives Eve, all right? And in 1 John, the Bible talks about the temptations, sums, sums up temptation for mankind. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, all right? Pride meaning I want to be like God. That's what the devil told her. Uh, now, and the Bible says that she saw the fruit on this tree, that it was good to eat, all right? And she took it and she ate it, all right? She saw, she took, and ate, all right? And this is all about she wants to serve self. Remember in the last lesson we talked about sin, S-I-N, and that uh, a good way to understand what that is is make yourself a great big capital I, S. Big I, small n, you know, because what sin basically is just serving self, the big me, me myself, and I. But when uh, we're born again and the life of God comes in us, we become servants of, of God and of mankind. All right? And, and it's the, the meek that inher inherit the earth. One of the definitions for meek is teachable, teachable. Not trying to be a big shot, okay? 
Uh, it's the servant who is the greatest of all. And Jesus came and he said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And that's the attitude you and I need. But that's not the attitude of the sin nature. So God has to change us. And he does that through his word. And we talked in some length about that in the last lesson. So um, we talked about justice, mercy, and grace. We talked about how when we disobey God, remember the penalty of sin is death. Okay? And guess what? When I sin against God, did you know that you're committing suicide? That, that may say, whoa, whoa, whoa wait, wait a minute, I don't understand that. But that's true. You make a choice to serve flesh, self, okay? And uh, then it, well, once you sin, the penalty of sin is death, then justice requires a death to pay for that death, okay? Uh, and that's why God said, the soul that sins must die. But, and that's sin, all right? But it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. When we commit a sin, that has a penalty of death. Now, for God to give us mercy, mercy, which means, what, what's mercy? Not getting what you deserve. What is justice? Getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve, okay? But the only way God can give mercy is that somebody's got to pay the penalty for your sin. So God provided that substitute in his only begotten son and sent him to the earth to live life as a man. The Bible says he was tempted in every which way as we are and yet without sin. So he became the perfect sacrifice in a sense. And all of the sin of mankind, past, present, and future, was placed in a spiritual way, on Christ. And when he died on the cross, he paid the penalty for every single human being that's ever been born. The penalty's paid. And so death is no longer uh, the penalty of the sins of mankind. But the only way for you to get the forgiveness that's provided by that sacrifice is to turn your life to God and receive and accept the substitute sacrifice of Jesus. And the way you do that is you turn your life over to Him. The Bible said flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now let me point something out. Jesus did not come to the earth and die to save your flesh. The flesh, that's the sin nature. Why would God want to save your sin nature? No, that's destroyed. That he said, you know, the flesh is condemned already. So that's your existing nature before you get born again. So, but the reason God sent Jesus to take the penalty for your sins is so that you could give a new nature, a new nature, the nature of God. And the way he does that is he uh, conceives the life of Christ in you, inside of you, okay? Paul called that the mystery hidden in ages past, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. All right? And once you're born again, now you have the life of the Son inside of you. I'm going to illustrate that with a little story from the Gospels. Uh, you know about uh, Passover, Passover. 
back in the book of Genesis, um, Passover was first revealed to us when God's people were in Egypt under bondage, under Pharaoh, uh, serving the taskmasters. Uh, in, they were in slavery, okay? Now, remember we talked in the last couple of lessons about how everything, and I mean everything, in, in the natural also has a spiritual meaning, okay? And Egypt is a type of the world system. Pharaoh is a type of the devil, the god of this age, all right? The taskmasters are a type of demons, and the slavery they were under is a type of sin, all right? And so for 400 plus years, you know, the, the Hebrew people were there living in Egypt in terrible bondage, okay? Terrible. But God had, had promised years before to Abraham that he would send in a redeemer, a redeemer, okay, to, to take God's people out from under that bondage and set them free to go to a place he called the promised land. Moses and Aaron went in there and said, set my people free, set my people free. All right, and bit by bit, God sent these plagues, which caused, uh, basically destroyed Egypt, all right, and... Uh, uh, you know, finally, uh, in frustration, you know, Pharaoh said, all right, get out of here, go, go, you know. But the key plague that caused Pharaoh to set the people free was something called the death of the firstborn, the death of the firstborn, all right? And that there was uh, this thing called uh, the destroyer that was going to come over about midnight all over the top, over Egypt, all right? And the firstborn in every single family was going to die. Every family. Not, not only of people, but even of the animals. Okay? And the, um, but the, Moses told the people, he said, the way you're going to avoid this is you go out and you get from the firstlings of the flock, of the sheep and the goats, and get yourself like a sheep, okay, on the 10th day of Abib, that's on the Hebrew calendar, Take it into your household, and for four days you're to neuter that little guy in there, and the kids are playing with him and you know romping around. But on the evening of the 14th, they were to take that little lamb to the doorway and slit its throat, and that little lamb would bleed out on the threshold there, and they were to take a plant called hyssop. Hyssop kind of has a sort of like a paintbrush type tip on it. And they were to dip that hyssop into the blood and dab it on the doorpost and the lintel of the house. Okay, The house represents the family, represents the people of God. And, and the blood on the doorpost represents the, the penalty for the death of the firstborn as being paid. Paid. Now who's the firstborn of the human race? That's Adam, remember? Okay, and what was the problem with Adam? When he and Eve sinned, that sin nature got passed down to the whole human race. And they died. Okay? The day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, death entered the entire human race. All right? But God said, remember, the penalty of sin is death. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. But it's sin that caused the death. All right? So God, remember we said everything, everything in the natural always has a spiritual meaning, all right? So the death of the firstborn represents that death of the first Adam, 
All right. And the problem is that everybody in the whole house, all every single human being is under that penalty of death because of sin. All right. But God's going to show how it's removed, the penalty. Okay. And he said, take that lamb. Remember, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Take that lamb, slit his throat, and take that blood and put it on the doorpost of the lintel of the house. Do you know what? They were making the sign of the cross. The sign of the cross at that doorway. Okay? The doorpost and the lintel. The sign of the cross. The blood. This is a picture of something. It's a picture, the lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And the destroyer represents the devil, okay, Apollon, okay, and, and the devil, of course, unless somebody pays for your sin, you are the property of the devil, all right? So, you know, these people were acting out God's redemptive process, and, and, and this occurred, they shed the blood on Passover, okay? So, the, the, that that way, the destroyer, instead of stopping at their house and killing people, okay, it passed over. Passed over, all right? And only in the Egyptian households were, was there a death of the firstborn, all right? Now, uh, they were to roast the lamb, cook it, eat it, and get all dressed up. So, now remember, the, uh, a day on the Hebrew calendar always begins at evening, and that's what it said at, at, at dusk or evening, sundown. That's when they sacrificed the lamb, applied the blood on the doorpost, making the sign of the cross. And uh, then they cooked that lamb and they ate the whole thing. All right. And uh, then since they were already dressed and ready, uh, as soon as the sun starts coming up in the morning, they, boom, they, they leave town. All right. And they, uh, they travel three days and they get to the Red Sea. All right. And remember Pharaoh and his armies and all that try to chase him, chase him down to catch him, bring him back. OK. But there was a pillar of fire uh, by night and a pillar of cloud by day that separated the people from the Egyptians. And God, remember, Moses took that staff and he separated the waters. OK. And the people were able to pass right through the Red Sea and uh, on the ground dried up and they got to the other side. Remember that? Okay. And then the Egyptian army is trying to chase them. But, uh, and while the Egyptian army is down in, in the middle of the Red Sea, uh, all of a sudden the waters come back and drown all the Egyptians. Okay. And Pharaoh. They're all dead. Okay. And on the other side, of course, the people come up out of the water. Now what's interesting is the date at this point was, was uh, three days and three nights after they killed the lamb. This represents Resurrection Day. Resurrection Day, okay? And actually on the Hebrew calendar, that's exactly what day it was, okay? Resurrection Day. Feast of First Fruits, it's called, okay? So, um, but anyway, the people were acting this whole process out. Now let's fast forward, you know, to the time when the real Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world was crucified, okay? This is so interesting, okay? Remember, uh, there were three people crucified, which, I mean, two, two crooks, okay, or criminals, and Jesus. The three of them were up on the, the you know, Mount Moriah, and uh, Jesus was on the cross, and then these two criminals were on the cross also, okay? 
One of them was called Barabbas. Barabbas. Uh, we're not really given the name of the other criminal. Uh, I think there are some writings or something like that that uh, give us a name, but I don't know for sure if that was the right one. But anyway, both of these uh, criminals on the cross uh, deserved, you know, they had committed crimes that required or, uh, you know, achieved the penalty of death. So they were um, crucified on the cross to pay for their crimes, okay? Jesus, of course, was innocent. He was completely innocent. He didn't have any sin whatsoever, you know. But what was he doing? He was paying the penalty for all the sins of mankind. The, the scriptures tell us that God turned his back on his own son on the cross. That's when Jesus cried out and said, Father, Father. Or actually he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? All right, Jesus enjoyed the presence of God all the time. And he typically always called him Father when he addressed him. Father, okay? But this time, all of a sudden, he didn't say, Father. He said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because in a sense, God, who cannot look on sin, all right, he had the Father, God, turned his back on his own son. Because once Jesus took on himself the sin of all mankind, literally that sin was detestable to God. All right. Back in the Old Testament, there's an interesting story where they were in the wilderness and a bunch of snakes. Remember the, the Hebrews in the wilderness were always griping and complaining, murmuring and uh, uh, you know, complaining about their situation or whatever. And God sent serpents out of the bush, which came in and started biting the people. And the people were dying right and left from the snake bites. Okay? And Moses cries out and prays to God. And he said, what are, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And God told Moses, he said, make a brazen, that's a brass, serpent. In other words, cast, cast a brazen serpent. And take your staff and stand it up in the midst of the camp and put that brass serpent, the brazen serpent, on that staff and stand it up in the middle of the camp there. And when the people look on that brazen serpent, they will be healed of snake bites. Now, what in the world is that all about? Okay. Well, fast forward to Jesus' time. Here's what Jesus said. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. In other words, Jesus was saying that that brazen serpent on the staff in the wilderness, somehow or another, that was him, a, a type of him. Because the Bible says that he said that just as the serpent was lifted in the, up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up on the cross. He's talking about. Okay, well, how in the world could that serpent represent Christ? And, and how could it be that the, all the people with snake bite dying from snake bite could just look up there at that brazen serpent and be healed of the snake bite? Okay. Once again, everything is spiritual. Everything. Okay? Well, what are we talking about here? What's the snake all about? That's the serpent in the Garden of Eden. And when Adam and Eve sinned, they were killed they, by, you know, remember? The soul that sins must die. 
They were snake bit. The whole human race is snake bit by the devil and dying. They're dying, okay? But God sent his one and only son to take upon himself the sins of the whole world, you see? And so that brazen serpent represents Jesus on the cross, which took upon himself, the father himself, put the sin of the whole human race on Christ and then turned his back on him. That's why Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus literally became sin. That's why he now was the serpent in a sense, okay? Because that's the devil, sin, all right? There's a scripture that says this, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. So when Jesus took upon himself that sin and died, that's when he paid the penalty for all the sin of mankind. And this proof that God accepted that payment, he raised him up from the dead three days and three nights later. Three days and three nights later. Believe me, Jesus was not crucified on Friday and rose from the dead on Sunday. But that's another day, another topic. Okay? Now, so, what are we talking about here? Remember those two guys on the cross? One of the guys kept cursing Jesus, said, if you're really the Messiah, why don't you, you know, get us down from here? Curse, 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 you know. All right, but the other guy, Barabbas, Oh, no, I'm, I'm mixing up my stories here. Anyway, but the second thief on the cross, the second thief on the cross, turned to Jesus and looked at him, just like that in the wilderness, where the people that looked at the brazen serpent on the cross, okay, they were healed of the snake bite. So the second, this second criminal, okay, looked to Jesus on the cross, and he called him, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what did Jesus say to that guy? This guy wasn't cussing Jesus out. He turned to Jesus and he said, we deserve what we're getting. I sinned and I'm dying and that, that's the penalty for my sin. He confessed it and he looked to Jesus who was taken on his sin. And he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what did Jesus say to him? He said, surely, truly, truly, this day you will be with me in paradise. All right, so that man got saved looking at the serpent on the cross. Man, that's amazing. That's amazing. Now, one more part of this whole story. There was a guy named Barabbas, okay, Barabbas. And you remember, there was a tradition, the Bible says at Passover, that somebody who was a condemned criminal would go free. So remember Pilate? Pilate, you mean, Jesus was, went to three different tribunals, okay? Uh, the, the, the high priest and the, uh, you know, uh, the and Pilate, um, blanking on the other guy's name, Herod, okay? All three of them, in a sense, had a trial. And, and Pilate knew this guy was, was uh, innocent. He knew, okay? 
And so he was trying to talk to the people since they had this tradition that, a, you know, on Passover that a condemned criminal would go free. So what Pilate was trying to talk the people into letting Jesus go free since he knew he was, he was innocent, okay? But the people didn't do that. So Pilate offered this choice. He said, Barabbas, this guy, he was a murderer, a thief, and all this. He, he deserves to die. But, uh, you know, they said, no, 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 let Barabbas go free, but crucify Jesus. Crucify Jesus, okay? So Barabbas, a condemned criminal, went free. And Jesus went to the cross and died. In a sense, there was an exchange there. Jesus was innocent, but he took the penalty. And when he took the penalty, Barabbas went free. Now here is something so amazing. What does the word Barabbas mean? Barabbas. Bar, remember? Simon Bar-Jonah, son of John. Remember that? Uh, that was one of the apostles. Okay, Bar means son of. All right. So Barabbas, what does that mean? Bar Son of Abba. Who, what's Abba? The Father. So, but the word Barabbas means the sons of the Father. Oh, wow. You know what that means? That, that means Barabbas was guilty. He deserved death. But he was set free when Jesus was exchanged and took that penalty on the cross, even though he was innocent. And Barabbas went free. And Barabbas represents every single human being who is born again into the Father of God, the kingdom of God. All right? And, and so Barabbas simply means sons of the Father. That, that's you and I. All of us become sons of the Father when we accept the atoning sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. I don't know about you, the first time that hit me, I was like, wow, you know, amazing. But Abbas, that's you and I, okay? When we accept the atoning sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, the substitute, the exchange, okay? He takes the penalty, that's mercy. He took the penalty so that I could go free and I become a son of the Father, okay? And God conceives the spirit of his son in me. And that spirit cries out, Abba, Father. Okay? So, man, look around your Bible. It is so amazing how many hidden things. The Bible said it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it is glory of kings to search them out. The Bible is like walking through a field and finding one gold nugget after another. They're everywhere. They are absolutely everywhere. And, and I don't know, I get so excited when God shows me something new, something new. All of Scripture is spiritual. You know, and I cannot see it in the natural. But the Bible says, uh, there's a Scripture that says this. It says, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it even been conceived, in the mind or heart of man, the things that God hath prepared for those that love him. But God reveals it to him, to us, by his spirit. Okay? It's the spirit of God in us that opens our eyes to see. 
unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Bless each and every one of you. Review these lessons. Get the handouts. Spend some time. Bring these things to prayer. God bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.